one of the privileges that we have as God's people is to hear his word regularly. And so I invite you to turn again to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 7, verses 30, 24 to 35 this morning. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week after John the Baptist. Uh, I, am, I am excited about our text this morning because it talks about something that I have come to believe is one of the most important but least discussed topics in Christian circles, which is change, or transitions. Uh, because when you think about it, and as the title of a pretty good book has it, Life is in the transitions. Our whole life is about moving from one place to another. Your first change in mind was from non-existence to existence when pregnancy started, right? And then you go through an incredible amount of changes before you're born. And then after you're born, you have even more changes. You start to see colors. You start responding to words. You start to crawl and walk and talk. But then the changes continue. You go from being a toddler to being a little kid to being a big kid to being a teenager to being an adult uh, to being an old man or an old woman, which none of you are. None of you. Uh, but those aren't the only changes, are they? Your, your personality develops and your interests develop and your abilities develop and all of those change over time. While you're changing homes and jobs and careers and friends, while you're making changes, some of us from single to married, some of us from married to divorced, some of us from married to widow or widower or from parent to grandparent. These are all changes and it's in all of these changes that life happens. And then within those changes, we become either stronger or weaker, wiser, or less wise, more compassionate, or more bitter, more open, or more guarded. Right? We're shaped by change and our response to change. And with all of these changes being so central to what life down here is, you'd think that we would have this robust theology and discussion about change within the church. But when is the last time you heard a pastor talk about any kind of theology of change or transition? Uh, some of you might say me last Sunday when I talked about John the Baptist struggles. Uh, fair enough, but like before that, when did I talk about it? Not very often. Uh, and that's why I'm excited to look at our text this morning, because as we saw last week, Jesus helps John the Baptist through his own change in seasons with God. We saw that John struggled with the fact that the crowds that he had ministered to had entered themselves into a joyful summer season of robust life while he had transitioned from summer to his own winter season of dryness and barrenness. And we saw Jesus remind John that he is working in his people no matter their season so that John could remember that even in his time of exposure and pain, Jesus was still with him transforming him, sustaining him, bringing him to himself. Well, immediately following this powerful and hope-filled interaction, Jesus then turns to the crowds in our text. Uh, he turns, as you'll see, to us, and he draws us into the same lesson that he was teaching John. And as we'll see, Jesus is 
doing this so he can give us some theological tools so that we can deal with change and the different seasons that characterize our own life with God. Jesus this morning is going to help us understand the purpose of changing seasons. He'll help us meet our own struggle to embrace those seasons, to transition into them. And uh, he'll assure us that if we learn to do this well, we'll find even more than we do now that God is just and good and that we will mature into healthy, useful, faith-filled kingdom servants, which I hope is a one of the reasons we're here this morning in worship. Uh, So let's turn our attention to Luke chapter 7, verses 24 through 35, and we'll explore this more. Luke 7, starting in verse 24. This picks up immediately where we left off last week. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of his generation, and what are they like? They are like children, sitting in the marketplace, and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word which you have given to us, we know, for our instruction and edification in the faith. Father, we want to know you more because of this word, to follow you more closely, to love you more deeply. And so we ask, Lord, that your spirit, who alone can accomplish these things in our life, would be at work now in us, giving us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your word. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I understand that Jesus' logic can be a little hard to follow here. He moves from talking about what the crowds went to see in John the Baptist to then talking about children singing in a marketplace, to wisdom having children. Uh, It was a little hard for me to follow the logic too. Uh, So let me just start with this. Uh, The point of Jesus' sermon, the goal that he wants us to get to is the very last sentence, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. 
And this is most likely a reference to the book of Proverbs. Because in Proverbs, wisdom's children are those who have learned from her how to live well. And since this will be important to us later, uh, wisdom's children are not kids in Proverbs. They are mature adults. They are skilled in godliness, skilled with emotions, skilled with relationships, skilled with mercy and justice, skilled with being able to recognize what God is doing in each season of life and season of ministry, and they have the skills to embrace it. Uh, young adult disciples, those who were there at our house, uh, I told you that Proverbs was written uh, very much for you all, and it's true, so that you can develop, and all of us, with very particular set of skills in how to live for God in the world. So let's take that point now, and let's keep it in mind as we go back to the beginning of our passage and work through it. Now remember the context. Jesus has just had a very public interaction with John the Baptist's disciples about John's doubt and anxiety and struggle about who Jesus is and what he's doing. And because this has been so public, I think Jesus here is protecting the crowd from self-righteously judging John by helping them and us see that we all have to address our own struggles with the seasons of God's work and also our struggle to transition from one season to another season. So in verses 24 to 27, Jesus first draws their attention to who John was. He says, when you went out to see John the Baptist, did you go to see a, a politician? That's a reed shaken by the wind is an ancient way of describing politicians, which I think is hilarious, right? Reeds blow back and forth and they whistle as they blow. I think it's hilarious. Uh, did you go out to see a politician? Did you go out to see a billionaire shooting money needlessly off into space in the desert on his own rocket ship? No, you went to see a prophet. In fact, you went to see the greatest prophet. You went to see the one who announced Messiah's arrival. And then Jesus says something that's so interesting and it's so important. He says in verse 28, I'm going to read this. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. When Jesus says the least in the kingdom, he means those who have entered the kingdom through repentance and faith. And to quickly get at what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying that John the Baptist was not in the kingdom, but, the, but you know, other people were. His point here is simply that the prophet isn't as important as his ministry. To put it another way, who John was is not as important as the people John produced through his faithful preaching work. And this is why the tax collectors and the crowds, when they heard this, they declared God to be just. They basically said, yeah, like, that's right. What matters most is the fruit of the ministry, which is people brought to Jesus, us, being brought into the kingdom and saved and changed. That's what matters most. 
But now notice that uh, Jesus has to deal with two different reactions. I think he actually sees physically the two different reactions from the crowds and from the tax collectors and Pharisees, or excuse me, from the crowds and the Pharisees and the lawyers. I think he's actually very intentionally provoking this reaction. I think you can see here, you can envision in your mind the crowds, the tax collectors nodding your heads and being like, yeah, that's right. Amen. Preach, preacher. Uh, while the lawyers and the Pharisees, they are not doing that. And those two groups and their two reactions, that forms the transition point in this passage from those who embraced John's ministry and those who did not embrace John's ministry. Now you would think, or at least I would think at this point, that Jesus then would start calling out the Pharisees for rejecting John's ministry. That's something that Jesus does pretty frequently in the Gospels, right? Like, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. Calling the Pharisees and the lawyers out for not having faith is not something Jesus is afraid to do or hesitant to do. On the same side, maybe you'd think he'd praise the crowds for their faith. After all, earlier in chapter 7, Jesus actually praised the centurion for his faith. Later on in the Gospels, John, the beloved disciple, will tell Jesus, we left everything and follow you. And Jesus basically in his speech gives him an amen. That's right. And that's why. It's going to be okay for you. Jesus has no problem calling out unbelief. He has no problem being happy and rejoicing in true belief. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? Because remember, the context is about dealing with change. It's about helping John the Baptist move into this new season. And now he's drawing everyone in. The goal is for everyone to become wisdom's mature adult children. Which is why then Jesus transitions now to talking about the way that we respond to God's invitation into different seasons of life with him. Verses 31 to 32. I'm going to read that. To what then, remember this is right after the crowd's double reactions. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. Scholars have worn themselves out trying to figure out if this is based on some kind of nursery rhyme or child's taunt song. You know, na-na-na-na-boo-boo, we played the flute for you. Um, I, I, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Like, honestly, I think that entire project is a giant waste of time. Because Jesus tells us very clearly like, what he's doing. He's comparing us to children who are sitting in the marketplace, which would be kind of like a park or a schoolyard. It's a place where children play. And he says, we're like two groups of children on the playground calling back and forth to each other. Now, when children call back and forth to each other on the playground, usually one of two things is happening. They're either making fun of each other, and you should stop that if that's what's happening, or... They're inviting each other to play with them. Here they're clearly inviting each other to play, to join them in the activity that they want to do. Now notice that Jesus focuses on one of the things that can characterize children's play from time to time, which is not wanting to play another child's game. Hey, do you want to play tag with me? No, I don't want to play tag. I want to play basketball. Well, I want to play tag. 
I, I want to play basketball. I don't want to play basketball. I want to play tag. I don't want to play tag. I want to play basketball. Well, I'm not playing with you. I'm not playing with you. And then they go off to their separate corners and you find them by themselves and you say, hey, like, what's wrong? And they say, no one will play with me. Jesus uses this picture of children inviting each other to play and he applies it to us in the way that we respond to his invitations to walk with him by faith in the various seasons of life with God. Playing the flute and dancing is done in joyful seasons and times of trans- joyful change- changes and transitions like marriages and births and birthdays and anniversaries. Come join me in this time of joy. No, I don't want to do that. Okay. Come grieve with me. Join me in this season of sorrow and letting go. No, I don't want to do that. And what I think Jesus wants us to understand is that the way, is that our way of responding to God's seasons can be very childlike. Now, that's not an insult. It's not derogatory. I want to be clear. Children are not in sin for being children, (laughs) right? It's not a sin, to be immature. Uh, Immaturity may provoke sin in the immature person. It may provoke sin in the people who have to deal with the immature person, but immaturity itself is not a sin. It's simply a state of existence. Though that said, we want to be mature people. We want to grow up and become skilled with receiving the different invitations of God that he gives us in our lives so that we can join him in seasons of joy and seasons of sorrow well, and so provoke not sin but godliness and not division but unity, right? Not brokenness but wholeness. And Jesus here is helping us realize that we need to mature and grow so that we can be emotionally and spiritually skilled, useful, loving, open, holy sons and daughters of the King. And all of that helps us understand why at the end, when Jesus talks about the different shape of his ministry and John's ministry, he doesn't say one ministry is better than the other. He also doesn't talk about the fact that he's the Messiah and his ministry is Messiah's ministry. And John is the prophet and that's prophet's ministry. And those are that's why they're there. He doesn't do that. No, he talks about their ministries as if they are two sides of the same coin because they are. The children's songs represent the two different seasons of ministry which are so necessary and important in our life with God to mature us as wisdom's children. But as Jesus points out, that maturation can be hard to get because we don't always want to join in. Remember the context again. John struggled with the transition to a winter season from a summer season with God. The crowds embraced John's season, winter season of ministry, but I think the gospel shows very clearly, struggled often to embrace what the summer season of Jesus' ministry involved. And the Pharisees struggled with both. And on that note, 
I want to sort of step back here at the end and just reflect on the way that Jesus uses their ministries, John's ministry and his ministry, to describe these seasons of life with God and of our difficulty in changing with these seasons. And then I want to end with a reflection on how to grow as wisdom's children, as God's children who by faith learn to embrace the ways of God in our own lives. First, the season represented by John. Verse 32, Jesus says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. This is the way that fasting is described in the Bible. And in the Bible, when God's people abstain for a period from eating and drinking, that is when they fast, it's because they are responding to a difficult moment in their life with God. There's been a a hard change like a drought or a death or a war or a period of prolonged sin, or a period of prolonged wanting and of unfulfilled desires, such as the wanting and unfulfilled desires for children, like you can see in Hannah's life, or marriage, like you can see in Ruth and Naomi's life in the, in the book of Ruth, or for freedom, like you can see with Israel in the Exodus, or John the Baptist in jail. Whatever it is, fasting is a way. It's not the only way, but it is a way in the Bible to enter into or to acknowledge and embrace the fact that one is living in a season of difficulty with faith. Because the goal of fasting and of all the other ways of entering into these seasons is to replace times of eating with times of prayer so that you can Increase the time that you are giving your grief over to Jesus and spending time with him in your grief and sadness and mourning as we adjust with him to this new pattern of life. And this is important to say too, and this is certainly a part of the the Bible's theology of change. Fasting is also not a way to change or to end a season of difficulty. It's a way to embrace one. It's a physical acknowledgement of where one is and what's going on. It was a way to say, I understand that this will be a time of loss and trial and difficulty, potentially further change, but I know that Jesus will be with me. He will help me. He remains at work in me. My friends, I... I could not say all of this without acknowledging that we have been in one of these difficult seasons of change with God, that he sometimes, seasonal changes that God sometimes brings. Uh, We've been in a season of uncertainty, death, sickness, fear, the exposure of sin, wars and rumor of wars. We've been in a season of grief and sorrow. We've been in a season where Jesus has been tearing things down and moving them around. And it's been hard. There's been joy too, right? No season is ever 100% one emotional thing. But it's still been hard. It's been hard on adults. It's been hard on children. It's been a season of winter. It's been a season of loss. It's been a season of struggle. Now my question for us is, how many of us have embraced or entered into or, or even allowed ourselves to acknowledge these changes in this season in a spiritually healthy way. Uh, How many of us embrace this season with fasting? 
I did not. Uh, how many of us embrace this season with grieving with to God and with each other, sharing our own sorrow and bearing each other's burdens as God commands us to do in Galatians chapter 6? How many of us have worked to be still in Jesus in the midst of the swirling chaos by setting aside intentionally times for prayer and, uh, and being alone with Christ, not as a, someone who's trying to perform piety, but simply as a, a son or a daughter with their heavenly father who simply needs their father to receive what's going on in their heart and know it's going to be okay? And how many of us were willing to hear that this was a season of change that was brought about by God's own will for our own good and that our calling was to enter and is to enter it by faith so that we can receive as much good from it as Jesus will give to us. So after all those questions, I have one more. How many of us can now understand why Jesus says in verse 32, for John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. This is not from God. This is from Satan. This doesn't need to be embraced. It needs to be opposed. It doesn't need to be grieved. It needs to be conquered. I'm not bringing any of this up to shame us or anything like that, but simply because, beloved, these kinds of seasons in our life with God will come again. Uh, Lord willing, it won't come as a pandemic again and all the other stuff that came with it, but they will come again, small ways and big ways. They came in John's life in a small way. They came in the crowd's life in a big way, in the Pharisee's life in a big way. They came in Jesus' own private life with the Father. When he mourned the death of John the Baptist just a couple chapters from now, and also when he grieved the painful transition that he was going to endure at the cross as he left his disciples at the Garden of Gethsemane. See, Jesus wants us to start thinking about these kinds of seasons the way that God wants us to. Not as children who say, no, and you stomp your foot and you turn away as if that's going to solve, make it go away. He doesn't want us to look at it as something to be opposed or conquered by our own will and strength, but rather grieved and entered into together with faith that God is with us and is bringing us life even in these winter seasons. And that the change he is producing is for our good and our children's good and their children's good and their children's good and for our neighbor's good and for their children's good. It's for the good of the world. And it's for the good of the kingdom of God and for us who are blessed enough to be citizens in it because of Christ's saving work. But Jesus doesn't only want us to have tools to help us change from a season of summer to a season of winter, but also to change from a season of winter to a season of spring into, into summer because that is also hard to do. And that's what Jesus' ministry represents in verse 34. Uh, he says, the son of man, verse 34. And again, that's, one of Jesus' favorite phrases to use to name himself. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. So my friends, like life with God is not only about loss, it's also about gain. Uh, it's not only mourning, 
it's also rejoicing. It's not only tearing down, it's being rebuilt and restored. It's not only the way of the cross and death, it's also the way of Easter and the resurrection. Now, the reality is that when God enters into a season of rebuilding and resurrection, that can also be very hard for us to enter into, particularly if the winter season was long, say maybe three years, maybe. Uh, or if we didn't enter particularly well into the previous season. As most of you know, when you go through something difficult, transitioning from a season of fear and anxiety to contentment and happiness is going to be hard because it makes us feel vulnerable, right? To open yourself back up after a period of closing yourself off is scary. But not only that, it can also be hard because when God rebuilds, he doesn't usually build back brick for brick. He rebuilds, but not the same way it was. As the Bible talks about so frequently, part of transitions is uh, to bring in a new work of God. New people, new relationships, new communities, new places of fit within your community, even new gifts and passions. And you can just see this throughout the, the whole Bible, right? Like Abraham is, is brought into a period of tearing down where he winds up away from his home and then he's rebuilt into this super wealthy man and then his children don't get torn down by being enslaved in the Exodus and then they get rebuilt uh, in the promised land, which then gets torn down again uh, through uh, the, uh, the, the fall of the kingdoms and then rebuilt in different places, in different communities, in the exile. You can just see this throughout the Bible. This is the way that God does things. He tears down in order to rebuild. Now, you think, you would think that like, the rebuilding part would be easy to embrace, especially for us Americans, because we love new. New is great. And as American Christians, like the idea of new people, new gifts, new churches, like it should all just be more and more exciting. Like, yes, go, go, go. But like, honestly, with that newness comes uncertainty about where you fit in this new community, in, in this new thing that God has done, and what you will do in that community. Like, what does God want from me? I understood my role here. I don't understand my role now. Who are my friends now? Like, there's been relationships that has shifted and changed. Like, who's going to help me? Who am I supposed to help? And so rather than be excited and rejoice in the new things God is doing, we can distance ourselves and make excuses about why we are rejecting it. And that's verse 34. Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's amazing, right? Like Jesus brings a ministry of joy and forgiveness and friendship, right? That's literally what it says. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But that is refused with the rationale that Jesus is untrustworthy. He's a glutton and a drunkard. He doesn't understand limits. He doesn't understand boundaries. He doesn't understand what's really dangerous. And because he's untrustworthy, he makes friends with the wrong kinds of people. And he rebuilds our community with the wrong people in the wrong places. And it's being rebuilt by the wrong guy. Jesus, we don't want our community to change. Jesus, we don't want this version of your kingdom. We liked the version that we had. 
And this is why Jesus ends where we began. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. My friends, we need all the seasons that God brings into our lives. We need both winter and spring, fall and summer. We need to learn how to receive seasons of grief and get skilled in entering into them so that when people around us grieve, we are not repelled by their sadness, but can actually walk towards it with this capacious grace of God that can hold them up so that we can grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn. The winter season teaches us if we do it well with God, by faith with each other, how to grieve and how to do that well. We need the summer seasons of embracing God's new works so that again we can have this capacious, open, huge space where we can be hospitable and welcoming to people who are, like us, afraid of where they will fit and how they will fit and what they will do and what does it look like. We can say, it's okay, welcome. Jesus has a place for you. And we know how hard it can be to be built up in the temple of God. We know what it means to be a brick who was used to being down here at the foundation and now you're moved to the top and you don't understand what your role is up here where you're not holding all that weight. Like, what do you do? It's okay. Welcome. We love that you're here and we're excited to discern about where God has, the place God has for you in this kingdom. These seasons are necessary, winter, spring, summer, fall, with God to teach us these kinds of things so that we can be wisdom's children, skilled in godliness, skilled in holiness, skilled in relationships, skilled with our emotions, skilled with our words, skilled with living life together with God well. But even though we need them, Jesus knows that we struggle to move into and out of each season. Like John, we struggle entering into winter seasons. Who entered the pandemic going, hooray? Like the crowds, we can struggle entering into the summer seasons. How many of us, not all of us, but I'm sure some of us are entering into this new season going, oh, I don't know. I don't know about the world now, right? Like it's, I don't understand it. It's scary. Like I don't, I don't know how to walk with God in this world. Some of us are like the Pharisees, not in unbelief, but in the fact that we just struggle with both. We didn't enter a pandemic well. This new season, we're struggling to enter well. Jesus understands, beloved. He does. And it's why there isn't a rebuke in this passage. It's why he's not angry in this passage. Instead, Jesus just gives you a powerful walkthrough of how to view people like John who are struggling with change and how to see our own struggles with change and how to open our eyes so that we can see how much we need the things of God in both kinds of seasons. My friends, I think we all want to be wisdom's mature adult children skilled in godliness able to see God's hand at work in our lives. And so my calling to us this morning, I hope on the base of this text, is to help each other grow by lovingly encouraging each other that whatever season we're in, we are in, God is at work in it. Don't let each other think that God is absent from whatever is going on in your life as if you have to journey through 
of a veil of tears without him. Remind each other, Jesus is with you. And then let's help each other to embrace the season God has us in and that he's moving us toward. And let's be gentle and encouraging to those who find themselves having difficulty in the transitions because that is exactly what Jesus does here with us and how Jesus treats us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for understanding our struggle uh, to enter into and embrace the different seasons of ministry, of your ministry in our lives. Uh, thank you for the kindness and gentleness with which you, you lead us to see how important they are in becoming mature adult children of our Heavenly Father. Please help us to respond gently to each other when we struggle. Please help us to receive the gentle help you offer us through your people. And please help us as a church to learn how to enter into these different seasons well so that we can receive all the good you would give us in them so that we might be more equipped to give and bear witness to the world about all the blessings that are found in Jesus, no matter the season. And we pray all of this in his name and for this, his, the sake of his gospel as it finds expression in our lives and as we pray also in the lives of our neighbors. Amen.